The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk. Listen to the end of this episode to hear how Novo Nordisk's employees are working to defeat diabetes. We're standing now in the heart of the city, a big intersection with people on foot coming from every direction, bicycles, but no cars. That's Peter Wise, the FT's Lisbon correspondent. He's travelled across the border to the Spanish region of Galicia and the city of Pontevedra. It's a place that's become known as a model of urban planning. 20 years ago, the city took a drastic step to try and improve the lives of its citizens. What's been done in Pontevedra essentially revolves around the issue of who owns the public space and who has the right to use it. Pontevedra's tried in a very practical way to answer the question of whether cars, which are of course a private property, should be allowed to take up so much space in our cities. My name's Darren Dodd, and I'm the editor of FT Health Reports. How do you build a healthy city? That's the subject of this series. I've been speaking to six FT journalists in cities around the world and the politicians, health experts and local residents about the kind of interventions that can change lives. And in this episode, we're looking at Pontevedra, where local authorities have got people to stop using their cars without actually making it illegal. Instead, they've pedestrianised the city using nudges to get people to change their behaviour. We're now going to find out what Pontevedra can teach us about improving public health without the need for draconian regulation. Pontevedra is set in the northwest of Spain in the Galicia region, a beautiful region of lakes and, of course, the Atlantic coast. It's a historic city as a medieval centre with ancient walls and many old buildings. And the streets of the city centre are mainly cobblestones, old stone pavements. And what's it like to actually walk around the place? When I first arrived, it it took a while to sink in. It felt like walking in a typical pedestrianised zone that you might find in many cities, but gradually you realise that this pedestrianised zone goes on and on, covering the whole city centre and beyond. And like most of us, I suppose, I was so used to living with traffic noise and trying to make sure I wasn't run over that it took a while to attune to a city that has no cars. You you gradually realise that you can hear sounds that would normally be drowned out by traffic noise, people talking, birds singing street performers, children playing, etc. And it's very pleasant. Yeah, sounds, sounds idyllic almost. Um, it's a subject I'm very interested in because I'm from Birmingham where famously residents were made very much second after cars in the 50s and 60s when the town was planned. It's only just now they're reversing it to give more priority to actual pedestrians. So it's interesting to see an example where this actually happened. Um, so the people who live there, I mean, how does it affect their lives on a daily basis? I mean, did you chat to some people while you were there? Yes, I did. I chatted to bar owners, to people enjoying themselves in the evening, to local politicians, of course, and and, and some police officers, families with small children. I went to the local primary school as the kids were coming out in the afternoon and a family were there to, to pick them up. Hello, my name is Teresa La Fuente. Um, I was born here in Pontevedra. I'm now in the school to pick up the children. Manu is six and Carmen is four. So how has living in a city which has no cars, how has that improved your life as a, as a parent? 
it's definitely very comfortable and for children it's so good because you can walk everywhere and we can use you know all the squares and places on the city as a park they like to play with the ball or with the bicycle skateboard manu for example is very fun of the skateboard and i think these days about 80 percent of children between um, six and 12 years old walk to school on their own is that something you're looking forward to for your children? Definitely, definitely. That would be really good. We live quite close to the school. So I think maybe when they are probably nine and seven, they will walk to school just alone because there are many other people coming. Right. What about the question of pollution? That, that's dropped because of the absence of cars. Uh, is that something you appreciate as a, as a mother? Yeah, but anyway, it's not only about the pollution, which the city, as you can see, is clean, but also the noise. We don't have much noise around because there are so many pedestrian areas. I see. But I think your father thinks there are some drawbacks, some disadvantages, disadvantages. to not, not having cars. Oh, yes. Always when they change something, there are advantages and disadvantages. I think it's necessary to talk about the solution for the old people. I, I think in my mother, for example, she's 92 years old now and it's difficult to walk and I need to use the car. It's difficult to get access. Yes, because sometimes there are some uh, streets closed and it's, it's impossible to pass by car. Um, hello! <laughs> they arrived! <laughs> Say hello, Carmen. Hola. But in English? Hello. <laughs> How are you? Very well, Manu. <laughs> Sorry, you were, you were asking something. But overall, are you happy with the... Definitely. You wouldn't go back? So happy. I couldn't move to a different city. I've been living in different cities. I find this one so comfortable for children. I think it's good. It's great for skateboards. Yeah, definitely. So good. <laughs> We heard there from Teresa, the mother at the school gates. She certainly felt that air pollution was, was better. Are there any figures you can point to about that? Yes, in Pontevedra they've reduced emissions from cars by 67% since the project came into force. They've met all the 2030 sustainable development goals. They've already met those. And I think in so many aspects it's improved people's lives that they really don't want to think about any reversal of the way the city's involved. And what about public transport? I mean, if, if you're kind of on the edge, outer edges of the city, do like, buses drop people just on the periphery and then people walk on from there? Yes, that, that's essentially what happens, but there are some small little vans that go and pick up people who can't you know, walk any great distance. So there's quite a network of public transport to, to help people who, who need it. One of the adaptations they had to make to make this work was to build a series of car parks around the edge of the city within walking distance of the centre. And those car parks are free, all day free. Within the city, there are a few surface car parking spaces and the limit on those spaces is 15 minutes. So those are really for people running errands, picking something up, uh, dropping something off. And at the same time, they've built a series of underground car parks in the centre, which are essentially for residents. So those measures had to be taken to make it the system work, really. 
And the same mayor is still in office after 20 years, isn't he? Is that right? So he must be doing something right. That's right. The mayor, Miguel Fernandez Lores, he's the main architect of the project and a, and a very passionate advocate of it. Hola. The mayor was a medical doctor before he became mayor and it's improving the physical and mental health of the population that is the driving force behind the project. We wanted to break the mould and not try to solve a problem that couldn't be solved because traffic in the city was growing at an exponential rate. The more roads that were built, the more cars we had. What we said is that public space is not for private vehicles, but for people. Normally in these kind of projects, you often come across opposition, especially from, from local business. How did, they, how did they get all their plans through in this case? Yes, there was opposition, as you say, from local business, but Pontevedra approached it by not simply banning cars. It was more by dissuading cars to come into the city centre, a series of nudges and encouragements and incentives and disincentives that have been adapted over the years. These days, you have a bustling shopping district in the centre of the city, which is all pedestrianised, and shops and businesses that find themselves outside that area are now asking for it to be extended to include them because they, they feel left out of the central shopping district and they want to be included in that. So people are very proud of, of their city. They, they feel it's a great asset that it um, distinguishes them from other towns and cities. When I became mayor, the city had 73,000 inhabitants. Now we have 85,000. We're growing, growing in a context in which the region of Galicia is losing 10,000 inhabitants a year. We were the seventh largest city in Galicia, now we're the sixth largest. And in 15 years, we'll be the fifth or fourth largest. The city is growing. It's undergoing a renaissance. Ten years ago, people in their 30s wanted to leave. It was a sad city where they saw no future. Now there are new businesses growing up related to new technologies, co-working centres, each with 20 or 30 companies using them. Our population is growing, economic activity is growing. There's a feeling of self-esteem, of feeling proud of the city that people didn't have before. You mentioned local business. What does the high street look like? Does it look different to your run-of-the-mill Spanish town? It, it does. Well, physically, it's the same. But, of course, there are no cars or practically mm. no cars. So they began with the project in the medieval centre of the city, the part of the city that was behind the old walls. I went to meet a woman called Cora Velasco, a young musician and owner of a local bar. Um, but she's also a singer. She was a little bit shy at first, but she eventually gave us her beautiful song, sitting at the bar on a stool with her guitar, a typical Galician folk song, which she sang um, very movingly, I'd say. The bar is uh, just a small room, really, but it has a lovely terrace overlooking the old city, and it was full of young people just relaxing outside 
with a drink, listening to the music, and um, several of them had their dogs with them. It seemed to be a popular meeting place for dog owners. Well, thank you for that song, Cora. You, you hold lots of musical events here. Does the pedestrianisation of the neighbourhood help bring business to the bar? Yes, of course, because people, they prefer have a walk around the city, and especially when the weather is, is, is OK. They like to enjoy a coffee or, or a tea or, or a beer and, and just outside at the bar in the terrace. So, uh, yeah, so these pedestrian areas are, I think, fantastic for all of us. <laughs> And does it affect the kind of people that come to the bar? I mean, does it make it easier for families with children? To oh, absolutely, also absolutely. You can see around this this place with all these green areas and stuff. It's a perfect place for for people with kids, for animals. We have a lot of dogs in this bar, and other people as well because they can come and walk by their own, or if they have to, people with disabilities as well because they can bring their own wheelchair. What about the other local local businesses? Does it help bring more customers to other local businesses in the area? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because here in Pontevedra, we say the shopping centre is the, the the old part of the city. And what about the atmosphere in in the town? Has uh, not having cars here does that? improve the atmosphere do you think yeah absolutely the, the levels of pollution here are, are the minimum right now and uh, it makes it easier for all of us to because we can uh, walk by the streets with all calm and, and quiet it's it's really we if, if we don't talk right now we can just hear the silence and just people talking and some dogs and some birds but not the traffic jams and and all the things like happened in a crowded city like madrid or barcelona And just kind of standing back a little, you've you've described how the fabric of the town's changed. I mean, how has the mentality of the people there changed? I think it's greatly improved their quality of life, to be honest. That was the impression I got from almost everybody I spoke to. And as I say, as a visitor, it took a little while to become acclimatised to the sort of relaxed atmosphere and the full implications of not having any cars. So basically, if people are going on a journey of less than three kilometres, they walk. And that's sort of very neatly summarised in a series of signs around the city. They've taken the London underground map as their inspiration. Oh, really? (laughs) But instead of showing tube stations, it, it shows different points of interest in the city and the different routes from one to the other, and it shows the time it takes to walk. You know, it takes three minutes from here to there, five minutes from there to here, etc. And it it neatly summarises, you know, the way life in the city has, has changed. People just find it natural to walk everywhere. And, of course, if you're with children, you can let them go off on their bicycles, you know, 100, 200 metres away without worrying at all, really. What about things like crime? Has there been much of a difference in that compared to the old city? Yes. At the same time as keeping cars out, the the town has improved the lighting in all its streets. 
They're very well lit. So those old, dark alleys and streets where there was a lot of petty crime and mainly drug dealing, they've now become well-lit, popular places where people can stroll along in the evening and have a drink and enjoy themselves. I met Daniel Chenel, the former chief of police in Pontevedra and now head of public safety. He took me to the old part of the city where there are bars. He showed me the area where there used to be a lot of drug dealers and petty crime. Really, uh, the, the crime rate has slowed down uh, a lot since 1999 till now, according to the National Police of Spain. In a specific, this uh, place where we are was a, a place taken by drug addicts and drug dealers. Crime rates right now, specifically, the Council of Pontevedra is one of the safest in Spain. And would you say having no cars in the city centre, has that contributed to the, this I think so, uh, because uh, uh, criminals needed deserted areas to commit the crime. So the more people we have on the streets, the less crime will be produced. What about in terms of road accidents and crashes and that, that sort of thing? Has that changed? No, this has changed a lot. In 1996, there were nine traffic fatalities. In 1997, there were six traffic fatalities. The urban transformation started in 1999. From 1999 until nowadays, these figures have slowed down dramatically. Since 2011, in Pontevedra, there is no traffic fatalities. We have reversed the priorities. If you see this car, look at what he's doing. He is stopping. No, no, don't go from the middle of the street. He will stop because the preference is ours. This is the reverse priority. So that was, I mean, that was the only car we've seen, apart from one police car in, in this whole area. And as we walked towards the car, he pulled over to one side and went very, very slowly. Uh, so, yeah. as you're saying, the, it's pedestrians have the right of way. Yeah, in all uh, we have reverse, invert the rules. So I guess the big question here is, how easy is it to replicate this kind of policy? Do you think it can only work in certain types of places, small compact city centres? How would other towns go about enacting this kind of plan? Yes, I, I think scale is important. Pontevedra is a city of about 85,000 people, about 60,000 living in the city centre. It's about the same size as British towns like Mansfield or Burnley or Guildford. Mm -hmm. But I think some of the principles can certainly be applied in other cities, much bigger cities. I mean, I live in Lisbon and today the, the city council has very recently put forward a proposal for pedestrianising quite a large area of the downtown, the city centre. You know, that's thrown up quite a few objections. People are worried about how their friends and family will be able to visit them if they can't bring in their cars, etc., how people will get from one side of the city to the other. And I, I think what's happened in Pontevedra is a very good example which would help people 
get a better idea of what pedestrian might mean for their, for their lives. That's it for this episode of How to Build a Healthy City. You can listen to our show for free on FT.com, Apple Podcasts, Acast or your podcatcher of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute to rate and review the show. To read more from me and other journalists you've heard in this FT special report series, visit ft.com slash reports. I'm Darren Dodd. Thanks for listening. The FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast is supported by Novo Nordisk, a global healthcare company committed to defeating diabetes. I rarely meet people who don't know someone who has diabetes these days, which is appalling, to be honest. Soren Smith-Ostergaard is Vice President of Digital Health at Novo Nordisk. His work combines medicines and technology to help patients to better manage their diabetes. It's inherently a very difficult disease to comply with, right, as is any chronic disease. Because when you have a chronic disease, it's every day, no breaks, no vacations for the rest of your life. And what I've noticed is that our intentions don't always match our actions. Personally, I've experienced this. I had lower back pain, so I contacted a physiotherapist. I, you know, I was hoping that the guy would say, listen, I'll give you a nice relaxing massage and then we'll be over and done with it. Unfortunately, he told me to do these, what I found at the time to be these silly exercises, right? Get up five times a day and then arch your back 10 times. So I maybe over-exaggerated or elaborated a little bit on how compliant I was with the therapy. And that's the difference between the intention and the action. So my intention is to get rid of it, but following through with the actions, that's a difficult thing to do. This is extremely similar, but from a diabetes point of view, it's much more severe. Following a regimen to treat yourself in the optimal way for something you never asked for, it's difficult. And I think we've come to the realization that people are not using our medicines to their full potential. What we're seeing now is that the time has come for tech to move into healthcare and do something together with the drugs to help improve the situation. Since uh, 2017, we've ran a pilot in Sweden where we distributed some insulin injection devices, where we had put in some technology that logged how much insulin was injected and when it was injected. And then we correlated that data with people's blood sugar levels. If we could put that into an app, that instead of people having to calculate how much insulin they should take, the app just tells them, based on your situation, you should take X number of units of insulin. I mean, that would be wonderful. And I think that's within the realm of what can be achieved in the next five years. In a not so distant future, we will not accept, patients will not accept, payers will not accept, doctors, healthcare professionals in general will not accept being treated or treating without having access to this data. You know, if you want to help someone, you should help them based on what they actually did and not about what they think they did or had the intention of doing. And the best way to do that is if you have access to that data. And I think the impact that this will have on societal health is going to be yeah, unprecedented. And, you know, if 10 years down the line or five years down the line, if I'm able to look back and see that, I don't know, I'm just dreaming, but let's say a million people's lives have been possibly impacted by what we do in Novo Nordisk, I mean, 
yeah, I might uh, shed a small tear of joy. I'm Lars Furgaard Jorgensen, president and CEO of Nordisk, a global healthcare company with more than 95 years of innovation and leadership in diabetes care. This heritage has given us experience and capabilities that also enable us to help people defeat other serious chronic diseases such as hemophilia, growth disorders, and obesity. Part of defeating diabetes means stopping people from getting the disease in the first place. That's why we have started Cities Changing Diabetes with the ambition of halting the rise in diabetes. You can find more at the website citieschangingdiabetes.com. Thanks for listening to the FT's How to Build a Healthy City podcast, supported by Nordisk.